Your lips can do a whole lot more than kiss. Your lips express love and speak your truth. Plump your lips with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE for natural-looking results that are completely and uniquely you. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XE or Juvederm Ultra XE. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. This week, we have a great guest, Annika Newell, also known as Fly Girl on social media. Annika is an everyday warrior in her own right, a two-time Olympian for Canada competing in the pole vault. Her story is one that we can all take inspiration from. This woman is a fighter. Her performance at the last Olympics didn't go the way she envisioned it would. We talk about how she's reset and become more disciplined and committed with a laser focus to medal at the Paris Olympics in 2024. After you get to know her, I would not bet against her. I'm excited to watch her grow and compete over the next few years. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Whiskey Tango Foxtrot in Austin, Texas. And without further ado, here's my interview with Annika Newell. And welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast with your host, me, Mike Sorelli. And I've got a great guest, Annika, which I've been struggling with her name all, all day. It was Annika, and she, she didn't even like correct me. And, but <laughs> when she would pronounce it, I, I would get it. Annika Newell, who is a total stud, uh, an everyday warrior in, in her own right, uh, two-time Olympian for Canada, which we're going we're gonna to forgive you for that one. <laughs> Um, but I mean, so you're, you, you are a dual citizen. I am. The U S of A in, in Canada. Yep. Okay. Right on. Um, let's dive right in. Okay. Let's do it. We, we did get a workout in earlier. Um, which I got to tell you, that's the first time I've sprinted in God knows how long I, I can't even remember. I'm not going to uh, lie. I was a little worried about your hip today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I went immediately to an ice bath when I got home. So, <laughs> I um, Good for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I will be hitting the ice bath all the way until I leave for fl- Florida uh, on Sunday for, uh, for skydiving. But, Annika, I want to get into, let's, let's go back into your, your, your youth. Okay. Let's go. Where, where did you start? Take it back. Middle, beginning, end? Um, well, I was raised in New Mexico, actually. And uh, so that's where I did sports and athletics um, and found my love for track and field. From there, got a scholarship to Texas State University, which is how I ended up in Texas. Um, fulfilled my whole four years of eligibility and then turned pro after, after that. But you were born in Texas, is that correct? I was born in Texas. And then at what age did you move to, uh, to Albuquerque? Like three weeks. No, Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. <laughs> so your Pretty parents right knew they were moving? Yeah, well, my dad had a job, and so I just picked up everything and went. And you spent your entire grammar school... Mm-hmm. Elementary, uh, high school in, uh, in New Mexico. Yep, in Albuquerque. 
and you were a state champ in multiple events. Is that correct? I was, yes. What sports did you grow up playing? Or was it always just sort of track? It was not always track. Um, my dad is very athletic, and he always wanted me to be a runner, like a distance runner. Um, but I did gymnastics for about 10 years. Uh, had a serious back injury that took me out from that, which is probably for the best because I'm way too tall for it now. Um, but then after that, I started track and field. Didn't take much to the distance running, so I tried sprinting, uh, long jumping, hurdling. And then my coach one day said, hey, you were a gymnast? Like, let's try you in the pole vault. And I guess the rest is history. That was the best decision of my life. Did you pick that up pretty quickly, or was that a, a struggle? Um, it was a struggle in the sense that uh, New Mexico didn't have very good pole vaulting coaches mm -hmm. um, that didn't know a whole lot about the event. So I actually went back to Texas to do training camps um, my junior and senior year of high school to learn a little bit more about pole vault. And that's what really kind of boosted me and excelled me. Was that during the summer? Yes. Okay. But you still were a national champ, or I'm sorry, a state champ in three events. Is that correct? Um, not to throw any shade on New Mexico, but the athletics are not quite up to par with Texas athletics. So yes, I was a state champ, um, but that's honestly not saying that much. <laughs> still, that's hey, when you're a state champ, you're a state champ. Am I right? I mean, yeah. I'll take the title. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. Um, trust me, you were a lot closer to being a state champ in any event than I ever was in, uh, in high school. I was really good at drinking. Okay. I was really good at drinking and partying. And I did have a reputation at parties of jumping into the pool. Oh, there you go. That's an I event. Know. I know. Could have done long jump. So a little about your parents. Okay. So your mom was born in Canada? Yes. Is that correct? My mom is full maple-blooded Canadian. <laughs> Oozing across the border. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. And at what age did she move to the U.S.? Um, that's a good question, actually. It would have been close to when... Um, they were going to have me, actually, because my dad was in the States, and they met in France. So, no kidding. Nice little cute love story there. But what, I mean, what, what's the background behind that? They just were both on vacation, and they met? Um, my, I think my mom was doing some work there, or like a TA job or something like that. Um, they're both fluent in French, and so I think my dad was on vacation, and they met. <laughs> so that begs the question, are you fluent in French? I'm not. They did not teach it to me. I'm working on it so that by the time that the Paris 2024 Olympics rolls around, I can speak it. There you go. And that's the next goal, correct? We. Oui. Oui. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, okay. So a, a foreign love story. She, she basically moves to the U.S., marries your father. Yes. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Does the timeline work out where you were born? I mean, is it nine months after she moved to the, to the U.S. <laughs> or was it... Nine months not, from France. You know what? My parents aren't really like that open and talkative. I don't actually know the answer to that. I think they'd be pretty embarrassed to tell me too. It's a hey, love is love. It's <laughs> it's no place to uh, to judge. Um, and you are the oldest. I'm the oldest. And you have a younger brother named Tim. Is that correct? Alex. Or no? I'm sorry, Alex. Yes, Alex. Mm -hmm. What what does Alex do? Well, he played soccer. He was very good. He came actually to Southwestern on a soccer scholarship. Um, so he was very athletic himself, uh, but growing up, I always picked on him a lot. So you just said Southwestern is, was it Southwestern um, in Georgetown, Texas? right? In Georgetown. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. South, We're looking a at direction. the crowd. South. Yeah. Southwestern. Yeah. What, what was Texas state? Cause Texas state changed their name and that was Southwest Texas state. Southwest Texas. State. Yeah. Okay. So total <laughs> athletic family. Did you, did you play soccer yourself? No, I left that to him. You left that to him. Yeah. Who's the bigger, who's the bigger stud? You or your brother? 
me, <laughs> obviously. Good, good. Okay. Um, so how many colleges were you talking to? Uh, several, quite a few. And it was at the end, it was going to be between University of Arkansas or Texas State. What was it that drew you? to Texas State over Arkansas? Because, I mean, Arkansas is a powerhouse, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And they have a great pole vault system there. Um, But I loved the river running right through campus at Texas State. And I loved the pole vault coach. So There you go. It's it's the the system that they had worked for you, the location. Yes, absolutely. Because I did my college at College Station. And I was, yeah, let's just say that was not the same experience as uh, San Marcos. Probably not. (laughs) No, I finished college in three years and got the hell out of there. So how did you enjoy Texas State? Oh, I loved it. It was, I had a great time. I had a great experience, um, especially because of the team that I was on at the time and the coaching that I had. It was spectacular. Did you enjoy yourself? <laughs> yeah, no. First couple of years, partied way too hard. Um, but it was a great time. So if you're looking for a party school, Texas State, I think it's pretty up there on top of the college list. You excelled in three specific events but you told me earlier when you sort of checked into Texas State, the mm-hmm. coaches said, hey, we want you to focus on pole vault. Yep, they wanted me to be an event or a event-specific athlete. How did you take that? I mean, at first I was really upset because I've done so many events um, and so much training my entire life. It seemed like one event was like one, just one. Um, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because I was able to focus on that um, and really grow my love for pole vault. Did you push back against the coaches when they, they, they asked you to do that? Um, not really, because they were giving me money, and I felt like pushback could have ended poorly. So I just kept my mouth shut and did what they asked. So you just poured into, into the pole vault? I did, yeah. Okay. Be- beyond just the collegiate athletics and focusing with Texas State, were you still doing camps? Were you still working with other people outside the university? Uh, in your off time? Yep. Um, I pretty much have been coaching for just as long as I've been pole vaulting now, um, about 10 years at Elite Sports in San Antonio. I've been coaching all types of kids for years now, and I love it. So you were even doing that when you were in college? Even doing that when I was in college, yeah. You know, that's interesting because uh, in the military, at some point, you've got to go back and you got to be in charge of training. Did you feel like you learned more coaching? Yes, way more coaching. I'd find myself like yelling at an athlete to do something and then like, wait a minute, I do that shit. I maybe should practice what I preach. And so in my practices, I was like, okay, I just told my kid to do this. I better do it too. And and did you feel like when you were coaching, it reinforced the fundamentals that maybe you overlooked? You just, it was muscle memory and you're like, okay, now I realize why. Absolutely. I mean, every day is, is you're learning more and more about the event, about the sport. Um, So I feel like it was really helpful for me coaching because I was able to understand concepts that I might not have been able to had I not been coaching. As you say that, now being a two-time Olympian, do you still feel like you're learning something new every day and growing? Yes. Oh, absolutely. There's, I mean, you can never learn enough, really. I feel like you always have to be a student of the sport. You can't ever feel like you've learned at all. Um, so I'm constantly trying to evolve and, and understand what I can do better. So we did read because we do research and we also call, uh, you know, people in your life to, to, to get the unadulterated truth. I'm joking. We don't do that. We don't have, <laughs> we don't have the time. Um, that you were a bit of a diva while you were a student at, uh, at Texas State. I had a little attitude problem. Um, it's much better now. I've matured. I've worked on it. Uh, you know, seen a therapist, we're good. If we had asked people in your life, are you still a diva? What do you think they would say? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
<laughs> what is it? Did did the tattoos and because you have a very unique style? I do. Did the tattoos start during college, or was that a post college thing? No, that was a pre college thing. Um, started by being just a very rebellious child. Did, were you, if I asked your parents, <laughs> if your parents were here right now, would they say, "Yeah, she was a lot to deal with"? Um, oh, I don't know, because I don't think they know the extent of what they were dealing with. So, I think they were pretty naive to the majority of it. So, I think I was a good kid on the surface. I don't think my parents would say that. Uh, but a certain degree of rebelliousness is—is—I've always appreciated that. I, what I say in the SEAL teams is we almost bred a healthy disrespect for authority. Okay. And it served our guys well because it allowed them to push outside or color outside the lines. I can and we almost promoted that. that within our culture. I can appreciate that for sure. I'm trying to like think of me as a coach and my athletes disrespecting me, and I'm gonna shut that down real quick. Yeah, it's a, it's <laughs> amazing how those roles change. Is you push back against your coaches, but the second you become one, you expect people to get in line. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we, we've uh, we've all been there. So, when you graduated. Well, let's step back. Was Rio post-graduation or was that while you, you were still? It was right after I graduated. I mean, within three months of my graduation. Three months of your graduation. So tell me the process of when you started talking to Canada or competing to, to, to win a slot on the team. So in 2016, I was already done with my eligibility with Texas State. And uh, my pole vault coach had said, do you want to try and go pro this year? And I hadn't thought of it until then. I honestly had not. And I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. So we trained our asses off all year and hit the qualification standard. Um, and so started trying to figure out our channels, whether I was going to decide to go U.S. or Canada, because ultimately I was able to make that decision. Um, and so I went through Canada, and then we were talking to the coaching staff and everybody that we needed to to make sure that I had all my eligibility with that. Um, had my passport and everything up to date and was able to essentially uh, compete for the Canadian team. Similar to selecting the college, were you looking at both coaching staffs where you felt more comfortable? It's not necessarily the coaching staff because you pretty much maintain the coach that you have, mm -hmm. that you work with regularly. Mm -hmm. um, it's more so about the opportunity. I was just going to see a lot more opportunities competing for Canada than I would the U.S. Um, solely based off of the U.S. has so many athletes. Mm -hmm. um, and they have to give opportunities, you know, equal opportunity to all of them. Whereas with Canada, there's not quite as many. So I would receive a lot more attention. I guess that's just the diva in me again. So Rio was three months after your graduation. Yeah, I got May, June, July. Okay, so I guess four. Four. four, four. Yeah. Did, now, did you have to go train in Canada with the um, team? I just had to show up for the national championships. Um, so, or excuse me, the Olympic trials, actually. Um, show up in place first or second at the Olympic trials. And that would guarantee me a spot on the Olympic team. And you finished. I finished second. <laughs> but, but you did set a national record for Canada at 15 feet and three inches. Yes. And it was unofficial um, because it was not a sanctioned competition, which really stinks, but is what it is. So who finished first? <sighs> My teammate, Alicia Newman. Ah, and you and Alicia are very competitive. From what we, we are read. extremely competitive. I love the girl to death, but Hell yeah, I don't want to beat her. Okay, is she, is she still in the sport? Uh, yeah, she is. Okay, do you guys talk much? Yeah, you do. Okay, no, so we're good friends. <laughs> good friends, but you have that healthy frenemies, health, healthy competitive rivalry going yes, on. Exactly. Okay, good. Uh, do you guys ever tr trade best practices? Um, we do. I mean, when I go to Canada sometimes for training camps and training sessions, and um, 
her and her coach are both very good and well-established there. And so I'll go and train with them and have uh, pole vault sessions with them. And I think that that's great because we really push each other. When you made that leap from collegiate athletics to pro, was that just, was that a leap? Was it scary or were you, you pretty much in the range anyways? Um, I mean, it wasn't necessarily scary. The scary part I'd say was, uh, when I, <laughs> scary part was actually just going to the Olympics because that was just the biggest like arena and stage I had ever been on in my life. Um, but besides that, um, after that, it's been like a learning experience and each competition is different and you don't get to show up with your whole team, you know, dressed in, in Texas state maroon and gold. Like you just show up there by yourself and you're there to compete. That, that is so I've, I've got to ask, what is the, what is the feeling during those opening ceremonies? Is that just, I mean, do you even remember it or was oh, no, it so I, overwhelming? I, it's very vivid in my, yeah, it's very vivid for me. Um, I mean, the, the best memory I ever had was uh, walking, kind of, you walk through these tunnels under the arena, and you can just feel the vibration, like the okay. noise. And you walk out, and it's just, like, roaring, and, and fire goes off, and, and, like, cannons and stuff. I mean, it's just, it's wild. And you walk out there, and the women's pole vault, and you just get, like, the goosies, and you're looking around, like, starstruck. Is that intimidating, in a sense? Like, oh, 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 shit. At the, um, at the first Olympics, it was. At yeah. the second, I was in my zone. I was ready to go. No kidding. And let's talk about Rio. Okay. Because we did have an inter inter interesting uh, question, but we'll, we'll get to that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> from our viewers. Uh, did you feel like you were prepared? Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. No. Why, why was that? I was just young, um, and I hadn't. It was my first year pro, and I had not been to any other international competitions at all. It was my first one ever. Um, and it was the freaking Olympics, like the pinnacle of sport. Um, so I walked out there and I just, I mean, my throat was like, I absolutely choked. And how, how old were you at the time? Um, 21. Good Lord. 21. And so you're probably standing now next to people maybe you looked up to within the sport. Yes. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Some of my pole vaulting idols for sure. Did you talk to a lot of them? Um, well, a lot of times on, on those competitions, the girls don't really, aren't that talkative because <laughs> they're pretty serious and pretty focused. I'm pretty talkative, so I did try and engage, and I got shut down a couple times. Um, but, yeah, it was still fun. <laughs> how, about, how about afterwards when the competition's over? Do they oh, yeah, no, more? afterwards it was really enjoyable. I got to meet a lot of the girls and get to know them, and their personalities came out. It was fun. If you're 21, what's the average age of a female pole vaulter Olympian at, at, you know, competing? I'm not sure about the average, but some of the best pole vaulters are typically around 28 to 32. That's kind of the sweet spot for maturity and just understanding of the sport. That's that's insane. Yeah. So you're you're a youngin. Yeah. And they're sort of are they a little dismissive at times? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how that. Well, I'm sure that's part of their psyche of of, of yeah getting in your uh, your head. Did uh, any of your the, the, those that you looked up to did they provide any mentorship at the end? Any advice? At the end, yes. And throughout the years, even, I've been able to talk to them and get to know them. And if I need something, I can call somebody up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. How, how can you help me? Or what, what's your advice on this issue? And they're happy to give it. Especially, I'm sure, when they're no longer competing in the Olympics, they become a little more <laughs> Well, some open. of them still are. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I know that. <laughs> I'm just saying for some of them. Oh, they, but yes, not yeah. during the competition. They don't want to give you any advice. They do not want you to beat them. Hey, we all, even though we're competitive, 
and we were within special operations, we were highly competitive, but you just always respect a competitor. Who's the competitor you respect the most in the sport? Um, I'd say one of the most respected pole vaulters in the sport has to be Katie Najat. She's a really good friend of mine. She's a U.S. vaulter. Um, one of the most humble, sweet individuals I've ever met. And that girl is a competitor for sure. And she worked her ass off to get where she is. And she was one of those girls who was not afraid to be real and, you know, post on Instagram, like the struggle she was going through, but also the fight she was willing to give. What, so basically her vulnerability is what you respect most? Is Absolutely. That yes. That's, uh, we, we talk about that often. In fact, I was on a podcast yesterday uh, with a gentleman who's writing a book about leadership and vulnerability. I, I don't know why vulnerability is looked at as a weakness. It's, it's the most morally courageous thing you can do. Now, there is a difference, though. Let me, let me like, between being vulnerable and being a victim. Yes. Those are two completely Absolutely. different things. And you showed, and I know we're going to get to it, you showed a great degree of vulnerability after these recent Olympics, and, and maybe not the performance that, that you had wished. Right. And, and, and I want to save that. Um, so the question we got about the Olympics as a whole, <laughs> and particularly Rio, because we know Tokyo was, you competed and you had to leave right away due to the COVID restrictions. Yes. Is the Olympic Village really a, uh, I'm looking for the words, a, an orgy was the, this was the question <laughs> that I got. I, I, we, we, and we, it said something like they passed out something like 100,000 condoms amongst the, the athletes. That, that, that may be true. Don't totally remember. Yeah, it could be around that number. What if if you had your own sort of hypothesis or theory? Is it the stress? What what is it that makes the Olympic Village a let's just say a party? It's it's the buildup. I mean, it's it's four years until each Olympics, and I mean, you just you work so damn hard for it. And that whole entire year for 365 days, you're counting it down until the day that you compete. And when you finally do, whether it goes good or bad, it's like. I mean, just the biggest sigh of relief afterwards. You just can't even believe what you just performed or what you did. And so you just, you just relax. You let loose. I, I'm trying to remember. Wasn't there an American swimmer that got arrested in Rio <laughs> afterwards? And, it, and he got just, just filleted by media. But it, it's funny. Media will jump all over you not knowing what you guys go through. And the guy was probably just letting loose. I think he was done competing. You know what? He probably was letting loose, but there's there's our, our way to, ways to do it that are a lot smarter than the way that he did it, for sure. Um, Agreed. And safer, especially in a country that you don't know. Um, so he could have he could have done it a little bit, you know, more responsibly. But hey, <laughs> uh, a lot can be said about the SEAL teams and, and how those guys let loose. But I, I'll <laughs> refrain from uh, from those stories. They remain uh, remain hidden. It was a good time. Oh, I have no doubt. Did uh, did you stick around afterwards to do a little sightseeing or no? Did you came Oh, around? yeah. No, in Rio, I got to do all the sightseeing. I went to the beaches. Um, oh, my. I did everything just about. Um, it was so much fun. And my family was there, which made it all the more special. And we got to go and see them and, and explore around Rio with my family. And that was awesome. Now, did you have to go back to Canada to do like a post-Olympic t- tour? TV circuit? There, there was something. They always host a, a party for the athletes after back in Canada. Um, it's optional. And at the time, um, I was pretty much just ready to come home and, and spend some time back in Texas, actually. Did you stop training 
Did you, did you take a few weeks off after Rio? After Rio, yes. Um, but years after that, after a big event, you keep competing actually for several weeks, which is really difficult because you've just come off such a big high and then you have to keep training after that. And it's, it's tough. Um, it takes a toll on your body for sure and your, your psyche. But um, so like last year I trained for a couple weeks after the Olympics and then decided to shut it down. Just my body was not ready to handle it. Got it. Got it. Let, let me ask you this. If, if you look back on your time, was there a specific lesson that you took from Rio that you were going to implement into your life or training afterwards? I mean, what was the realization having competed at that level for the first time? I mean, how nervous I was walking out into that arena. I promised myself from that day, I was like, I'll never show up to a competition feeling like this ever again. Like I'm going to walk out like excuse me, but a bad bitch next time. So this will never happen to me again. Okay, so I've never seen the pictures. Did, did you shave your head like you, you do now back then? This was an accident. It was an accident. It was an accident. Okay, it was well, let's get into this. Let's shift focus. <laughs> when did this accident, I'm using air quotes here, when did this accident happen? I was, um, my hairstylist, we were bleaching my hair. I was trying to go like this beautiful strawberry blonde. But post or pre? Oh, post. Yeah. Post. yeah. And this was, gosh, probably in like 2017, 2018. And the, the bleach, it just reacted to my hair poorly. And this whole side just fell off. My hair just fell off. Luckily, luckily, we just made lemons out of, or lemonade out of lemons that day. I was like, you know what? I'll just rock it. Let's shave it. Let's do it. I, I have that same problem, <laughs> uh, except I bleached my head and uh, it never came back. I should have entered into litigation with that company, but... Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not about holding, holding other people at fault, so it's okay. <laughs> when that happened and you saw that, did that become part of your identity? You're like, hey, this is my, this is my and I'm going to use the words, my bad bitch identity. It, it did. It kind of did. Between, I mean, I do feel like I have a bit of an edgy look, um, especially in the pole vault world. So I, I like to look intimidating when I come onto the runway or step into competitions. Um, because I want to intimidate the competition. Like, I want to look like I'm going to beat you one way or the other, either on or off the track. And, and I'm all about intimidating competition, but for you personally, did, did it – I mean, hey, let's, let's be honest. We all have things we do. Did it make you feel more confident? Like, this was your thing. This is who I am. Well, it took a while to get used to at first. Um, but and what now, did the parents say? Pardon? What did, did the parents have a, uh, a comment or two? Oh, my, I mean, my mom was like, oh, it's cool. It's, uh, it's unique. <laughs> okay. So they were about it. I mean. All right. <laughs> and, and so the sleeve tattoo, you had that. When, when, when did that start and when did that end? Oh, gosh. I mean, it started in college, um, but it, it is still a work in progress, to be honest. If you're going to get a sleeve, do it all at once. Make sure you have all the money for it. Um, that's my advice. <laughs> I, I actually, you know, my first tattoo I'm going to date myself here, is uh, 1996. I think that, that puts you at the age of uh, three. Yeah. Um, well, I was a brand new freshman at the University of Colorado, so I got a, you know, University of the Buffaloes. Okay. So I, I still have, have a Buffalo it tattoo. on my back. Okay. And uh, I remember I had uh, come home. I, I come from a very strict Catholic <laughs> family. Um, my dad is a very intimidating guy. This went well. Um, my, my wife laughs because she still intimidates the hell out of me. Uh, if I see him calling, if I know I'm in trouble, I just won't answer. But um, 
Hey, sometimes that, that's, that's just strong families. But I remember I'd come home for uh, my sister's wedding. And uh, I had my girlfriend with me. And, of course, they, we all had our own hotel rooms. And I had my shirt off. I'm wasted at the end of the night. And I thought it was my brother knocking on the door. So I, you know, I just opened the door, turn around, and start walking back to the bed. And all I, all I feel are these hands come around my neck oh. and force me right down onto the, uh, the bed. And my girlfriend's screaming. And he lets up. And uh, that was the beginning of the end at the time for, for my dad and I until I joined the Marine Corps. And we, we, we reunited. So uh, one tattoo and uh, the that after effects. Yeah, okay. that sort of killed tattoos. Though I am contemplating a uh, sleeve. Uh, my dad's getting old. He's 75. I don't think he can uh, do much now, so maybe it's time. <laughs> Just wear long sleeve shirts around him. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. You know, I had a shirt on. It was on my shoulder blade. <laughs> what, are, what are the odds? So we come back from Rio. You're out of college. I mean, this is the struggle I always hear about Olympic athletes. It's okay. like, hey, if you want us to be really good at our craft, we have to focus full time. Yet it's so hard to sustain yourself from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. So you just, you dive right back into training. I mean, are, are you holding jobs on the side or is the coaching giving you, I mean, some salary? Coaching gives me some salary for sure. Um, and then while I'm training, um, I try and do a lot with certain companies that will help me out financially or getting financial aid actually through Athletics Canada. Um, they try and support their athletes the best that they can, um, which is really helpful on a month to month basis, but I mean, they can really only do so much. And then I just would take odd jobs or modeling stuff or social media, um, and just do the best that I could. Does, does that piss off a lot of Olympic athletes? Like, cause we were all behind you when the Olympics are on and then when it's over, it's like, yeah, awesome. I, it does. Um, but I, I think for the most part, we're all understanding, like it is just the way the world works. And unfortunately, um, the sport and the world only cares about our marks on that day. It doesn't care about the work that we do during the week. It doesn't care about the work that we did throughout the year to prepare for this one singular day. So, like, all that stuff is the behind the scenes that nobody else sees. What do you think about collegiate athletes now taking sponsorships in that? Excuse me for one moment. Fuck them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm so mad. I wish I would. I wish that that rule had been, like, around since I was in college. That would have been great. Um, but I'm seeing all these little girls, like, doing all this social media posting. Part of me is really happy for them. And the other part of me is like, well, they're going to ruin themselves if they just keep taking every opportunity that comes to them. Because if they don't have, like, an agent or somebody to help them understand through this process, they're just going to take all these random companies and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I have a feeling like you would have owned that had that role been changed during your, uh, yeah, the diva, <laughs> the diva would have come out. Would have owned Absolutely. It. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Barstool would have reached out real, <laughs> real quick. Um, let's, let's take our mid roll pause here, but before we do, we ask two questions Okay. and, and these are the hard questions. Okay. The hard truth is we, we, we tell it. And sometimes it's a stump the chump and I don't like to stump the chump, but biggest regret that you have to date? My, honestly, my biggest regret is, is feeling like I was, I stayed in a comfort zone, feeling like I settled for a really long time in college, um, not really living up to my potential and not understanding that I had potential. I felt comfortable and I was okay with being average. And it, it took, um, <laughs> well, it took something that happened for me to realize that I'm not okay with being average. And I wanted to see 
what I'm capable of. And then after that, I trained my ass off because I was like, I want to know what I can do. And from then on, it was, you know, no stopping me. But I feel like when you when you just get into this comfort zone, you tend to stay in it. And that's probably my my biggest regret is having been in one for as long as I did. Okay, then I got two questions off that. What what allowed you to stay in that comfort zone? What was it? That, that, I mean, it, in, first off, there's nothing average about you. That, that's funny <laughs> that you say that. But was it that you're at Texas State, you're a, you're a star at the university, so you're good with that? And, and what, what was it that kept you in the comfort zone? I honestly wasn't even a star. I mean, I was, um, you know, kind of in the middle of the pack, to be honest. And, but I was, I was happy. I was content. I was partying. Um, I was loving where I was at. I was loving my team. I was doing the workouts like, and not really working hard in the workouts, but doing them. And it it was just like, it was just easy. So then what was the moment, the epiphany or, or was it a slow roll? We had a, a freshman come in and she kicked my ass and I was pissed because I'm very competitive. And as soon as that happened, I was like, nope. Game on. All right. The competitive streak came out of me and I was like, why have I been just sitting in this position for so long? That's, that's, that's amazing. And, and sometimes, you know, here's the good thing about being, well, I'm not old. I'm, I'm middle nope. age. Uh, is that youth can be the most motivating thing in the world. When somebody comes in full of piss and vinegar, it's almost like a reawakening for you, no matter what age. You're like, you know what, man? I remember being like that. I want to return to that. Yeah. You know, where they're given everything. Last question. Okay. Hardest decision you've ever had to make, whether it's love, life, pole vaulting. It's, it's, a, it's a love one. And I, I broke off an engagement. Um, and at the time, he was my pole vaulting coach in Louisiana. And... Um, I ended up breaking up the engagement because I just I just didn't see myself living there or being with him forever, um, even though I did love him a lot. And so I left Louisiana, I packed up all my stuff, and I left. And that was definitely the hardest decision I've had to make. Well, nobody wants to live in Louisiana. I think the crowd's all shaking their heads, yes. Nobody <laughs> wants to live in Louisiana. Well, that, that's, that's an obvious. Um, wait, was there an age difference there if he was your coach? No. Um, actually, he was only a year older than me. Uh, where'd you live in Louisiana? In Lake Charles. Lake Charles. Yes. Good to visit, to live. I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd like the to go uh, spend all my money and then, and then come home promptly. Okay, good. Well, with that, we're going to take a mid-roll break. We will be right back. And we are back with Annika Newell, two times Canadian uh, Olympian, pole vault uh, event. I think we left off. You're back from Rio. You're getting back into it. So, I mean, four years, that's... <laughs> when you get back from the Olympics, do you sit down with your coaches and come up with a four-year plan? Or how does that work? We take it year by year um, just because you're primarily trying to make sure that you don't get injured um, during the process. So we try not to look at the bigger picture and we take it a little bit slower one day at a time. So do you lay out like, hey, here are the competitions we want to hit over this next year and then let's reassess after that? I don't start looking into competitions um, until a little bit closer to competition season. Um, And then I have a sports agent that kind of helps set me up on and lining me up with all the competitions that year. Do you get to select competitions? I mean, do you have a vote? Oh, yeah. yeah. I could say that I don't want to do something. How often, I mean, how many of those events are in Canada going back? Uh, there's, there's several that are. Um, 
over the COVID years, it was just so difficult to get to Canada. So no one really could, or they didn't host any competitions there. So we kind of went elsewhere um, over the world. Yeah, let's let's dive into that. Uh, Justin Trudeau, do you, do you want to put any comments out there publicly? <laughs> no, I, I'm begging you, no. What, what do you think about the uh, the recent uh, trucker uh, rallies? I mean, that's, that's your home, home I, country. I mean, if, <laughs> I don't know. I don't really get intertwined with all of the politics with either country, to be honest. So, Smart call. Safe <laughs> call. Safe call. Yeah, keep that separate. So when you're getting ready for, uh, for Tokyo, uh, what was the new game plan? I mean, you finished 29th in, uh, in Rio. And, I mean, do you ever step back and say, I am 29th in the world? Did you, do you take any? It's more like, oh, I'm 29th in the freaking world. Like... <laughs> <laughs> do you know how many like how many young women in the sport would be like man i would give anything to be 29th in the world i mean i would give anything to be first in the world that is that is the <laughs> the attitude of a warrior that's do you believe in your heart for this next one that you're going after? yes i believed in my heart for for tokyo um and i still believe that i i could have meddled at tokyo so paris I'm going to be there on the metal stand. Stand by. We are going to be watching, supporting you. I'm, I'm, now I'm excited. Now I've got a reason to actually watch <laughs> the Olympics. Um, it, the Olympics seem to have lost, lost viewership. Yeah. yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I think they just make it so difficult. Um, I had so many of my friends and family say, like, where do I find the women's pole vault? And what time is it at? I feel like they need to make something for the audience to where they can lay out a schedule and say, Hey, these are the events. These are the times. These are how you find it. This is how you access it. Um, and just make it a lot more simple because people don't want to put in that work. They don't want to do the research to have to like search for the event. They just want to watch the damn event. And, and, and you know, I gotta say like, there's a point where like the politics just need to stay out of it. Yeah, that too. It's just, dude, let the athletes compete. Yes, it, it almost it, it, it taints the, uh, the, the, the true intent of, uh, of the Olympics. Let's talk about going to Tokyo. Now it's your second time. You're, you're, you're seasoned compared to, to other Olympians. It, and what is the average amount that Olympians compete? I mean, is it usually most people only get one shot at the Olympics? Yeah. Two? It's one? Most people only get one shot. Okay, so you've got a second shot. You've earned it. What's your mindset going into that? I mean, I was just so focused. I had such tunnel vision the entire time. Like, I only had had one focus, and that was to be on the medal stand. And how, how did you do in the Olympic trials for Canada that year? We did not have them that year because of COVID. So they were going off of they previous... They were going off of marks that year. Um, and if you had the qualifying standard and rankings. And you still finished within the top two to, yep. to go. Yep. Okay. Now, you make it to finals. Yes. You've, you've performed, and I know finals didn't go the way you wanted it to go. It did not. Let's talk me through that. Um, so in the preliminary round, uh, we played it very safe. Um, I have a, a certain pull series that's, uh, we'll say, easier for me to handle. It's not as big. Um, and so I, I used that pull series, and I was able to complete the jumps very easily, kind of just breeze through prelims, which is what I intended to do to get to finals. And in finals, we essentially took the all or nothing attitude. And we brought my biggest poles that I had in my bag. And we're like, you know what, this is what we got to do to be on the medal stand. And I just, I went for it. And unfortunately, the weather conditions and the setup for that day um, 
it wasn't the right call, um, but I don't regret it. Was, it. was that due to the winds? Yeah, unfortunately we had a headwind, which for pole vaulting just really sucks. As you felt today, the wind really pushes the pole around when you're running down the runway and you want it to be kind of like directly at your back or no wind at all, just so that the pole stays right in line. Um, Cause the box is really only a couple feet wide and you're trying to plan it at the exact perfect position every single time. First off, Anko, the only thing I felt today was not the wind, it was pain. <laughs> it was pain. Um, okay. I just happened to have a stick in my hand. Um, so the wind is hitting the pole and affecting mm-hmm. your approach. Yeah. Were other athletes pulling out their, their long poles as well, or did you, did you notice they were taking a different approach? Um, to be honest, you don't really notice the other athletes or what they're doing. Plus, I'm not really acquainted with um, their series as well. Gotcha. So since we're all on different poles, you don't notice those things. You complete your jumps, and it's no mark. I know I did, yeah. Do you at least feel proud in the sense that you said all or nothing? Screw it. I'm going for it. I, I feel very proud um, just because I really, I was fearless that day. Like, I just went for it. And so part of me is like, you know what? I, I, was, I was truly giving it my all that day. Um, it just sucks that I walked away with the, the nothing part and not the all. Um, but I am proud of, proud of myself on that aspect. aspect excuse me. I, I'm, I'm so thrilled to hear that because, again, you're at the Olympics, dude. <laughs> yeah. You're at the freaking Olympics. I mean, I, I've worked with high performers, elite performers in the world that can never make it to that level, dude. And I hope you, you have time to, to proverbially smell the roses about how awesome that is. Now, you posted something on uh, Instagram that we saw in the research. It was, it was you basically on the pads when you'd hit your, po- your, your no mark. And you, you, you again displayed a vulnerability of, hey, I, I, I didn't perform how I wanted to perform, how I intended to perform. It affected you mentally and you needed to take a break. Yes. You don't see that. And I know mental health is a huge, huge subject right now. It's not a sign of weakness. We've seen this with Michael Phelps. We talked about the, the, the imbalance in his life of performing and what it did to, I mean, we saw Simone, Simone Biles, Biles yeah. who actually removed herself. And the fact that she took criticism, well, you know what, screw those people. I, I, I hope one day we can get Simone on, on here as well, because I, I want to talk to her about that. But you opened yourself up and basically said, I need to take some time to myself. To explain that to me. I mean, you have to process. And after the Olympics and when it's over, it, it's like you have this period of time where everything goes back to normal and it, it almost feels like it, it didn't even happen. Um, so it's like a period of grief. Like you just lost something. Like it's, it's over. It ended. It died. And especially the, for me, um, seeing as I didn't perform how I wanted to, it really felt like, a, felt like a dream died. So I needed to take my time to grieve that and to process everything that went on and to be able to, to really like, look inside myself and think about what I could have done or what I should have done or moving forward what needs to be done next time. What was that process for you? Was it, was it a vacation was it nature? What, I mean, was it staying at home? Was it? I it went was, and visited family first and foremost. Yeah. Is that your rock? Yeah, family and friends. Those are my rock for sure. Through that time, um, they really boosted me, and I needed them. Like I relied on them, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, afraid to say that I'm happy to lean on people in a time of need. <laughs> were, were was there a moment you broke down just in tears? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Was yeah. it was that the Lots of was tears. it in Tokyo or was it? No. Um, 
You know what? I did in Tokyo too, um, but I was more in shock than anything else. Yeah. So it wasn't really until I got home and looked back, like, what the hell just happened? I just, I broke. It was just in your, your, your home here yeah. in Texas? Yep, yeah. in my apartment. Mm-hmm. By yourself? Yep. When, dude, that's the, the, the totally normal. I mean, hell, I mean, there's moments I think of the guys we lost, and I just break down in tears, and that, that was years ago, decades ago. When you were done with that moment, what did you say to yourself? I said, that's time to get up. And the best athletes have short-term memory loss. <laughs> that is a, a great attribute. Um, you said recently in, in our conversation today is that you had an epiphany that you are capable of so much more. Yes. And that recently happened in the last, post, post-Tokyo, that you, you, you're like, you know what? Screw it. We're going after it again. Yep. What was it? What was that moment? I, I felt like um, on my way to Tokyo that whole year of training, like we tapped into uh, just some of the potential. Like I got a glimpse of it and I, I'm so hungry by it. You know, it was like a teaser. And I just, I know I can accomplish so much more. Like I feel it in my bones. So it's like, I'm not ready to step away because I'm not done. <laughs> Do you feel these next few years are going to be the strongest years of your life? Because I, I remember being 21. And honestly, between, it seemed like 28 and 35, that was the peak of my physical, physical performance. Yeah. Do you feel like you, you're, I mean, you're going to get stronger, faster, better? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even right now, while I'm um, just starting my season, I've already hit certain uh, personal records in the weight room. Um, I can feel myself getting stronger on the track and uh, we're doing certain things technically with my pole vaulting that is just, is proving to be really accomplishing. Let me, since, uh, you know, part of men's journal is, you know, the fitness component, give me just a breakdown of what you're focusing on in terms of training and then also diet. Um, so my week breaks down by weightlifting practices, sprinting practices, um, tempo practices, and then pole vaulting practices. Um, and then I do a lot of like physical recovery after and before those. Um, but I train anywhere from about, uh, two to six hours a day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so do I. I love it. <laughs> exactly. I think the audience is like, yeah, of course we do that too. Oh. Well, but that's, that is my job. I mean, that's like my nine to five is, is working out. So. We're, and I know you do active recovery. I know you're doing like, you know, you know, the cold plunges and everything else, stretching. Yes. But I mean, is there ever a time where you just take three days off? Three? Oh, did I just hit a nurse? Like, oh. One day off. One day off? Yeah, we got Sundays off. Okay. What do, what do you do during that, during that Sunday? Nothing? Massages? Anything? Actually, I usually coach on Sundays. Um, money. Go yeah. make some money and go, yeah. go, go train the next generation. Exactly. What about, what about diet? How strict are you? And I mean, are you using a dietitian or at this point, do you just have it dialed? I have it. I have it dialed in. I know how my body works. I know what it reacts to. Um, I know about how many calories I need to eat in a day. Um, but I am very strict with what I put in my body because I want to make sure that I'm fueling it right. You don't want to put the wrong things in, and your body just doesn't perform for you. So I want to make sure I have as much energy um, to spare as I can. So let, let me ask you about alcohol because we. I know. Hey, we all. You know, we give ourselves a break, and then we really tighten it up as we get closer to competitions. How, how much, I mean, how much drinking do you do? I mean, and how does it, how does it fluctuate? 
Well, everybody's got their vice. Um, and for me, going out and having a couple drinks with some friends is like a stress reliever. So it's, it's like a good balance. Um, you know, I'm not like out there <laughs> binging and, and getting blackout or anything like that. Um, but I am doing it to relieve stress and to have some fun where practice is, is just so demanding. And when you have a couple of drinks and you, you let loose, you can just enjoy yourself. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about because I don't drink alcohol. Me neither. Um, I'm very strict with my, my, my diet. I only eat protein. <laughs> That's all I eat. No carbs, no fat. What does your next year look like in terms of competitions? In terms of competitions? Yeah. So this year is actually world championships in the States. It's in Oregon this year. At, at in in uh, Eugene. Yep. Okay. At yep. the track. Track town. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's really exciting because um, it's just like a hop and skip away. Um, so a lot of my family will be able to come, and that'll be fun. And then past that, we'll see what next year is looking like. But I'll be looking to break some records. Is the World Championships? Do you represent Canada or is I do. it individual? Yep. Okay. And, and you're all, are you already qualified? It's done. You're in. Um, not yet. I'll still have to go again to national trials, mm -hmm. um, and basically fight for my spot at this point is it just like you you and alicia just dominating the competition yes <laughs> quick answer that's it yes. <laughs> yes bottom line okay good 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 um let me let me go here uh well one we want to get to questions from uh from the audience we also had a few questions come in what well, we had to be very judicious about the questions that came in I, i'm going to start with the first one where we told the guy stop asking the question one uh, would you date a United States Marine? As opposed to like a Canadian Marine? <laughs> no. Are there even Canadian Marines? Just go ahead we'll and look send that in up. your we'll resume right and I'll now. take a look at it. <laughs> are you, so are you saying you're opposed to military guys? I didn't say that one bit. DMs are open? <laughs> okay, do that. If DMs are open, stop DMing me and DM her. Like I, my time is valuable as well. <laughs> This one actually uh, came in from uh, a, well, one, a guy I highly respect. He's on his way to Mount Everest right now. Wow. He, he sent this from the airplane. He said, uh, his name is Elias Sakale. And if you ever, I'll, I'll send you this guy's Instagram uh, account because I make fun of him. I'm like, <laughs> he's a male model. And he okay. actually was a male model actor before he became an extreme uh uh, athlete, okay. and he's he's ascended Mount Everest multiple times. Documentary filmmaker. Sounding um, good. Does he want to date me too? I, I will show you pictures after this. I hope Elias. Elias, he just <laughs> sent me some pictures because I'm like, dude, I'm so, just kidding. I told him I'm like, there's something about your face. I don't know whether I want to kiss you or punch you. Um, but he came to Mount Everest with me for the skydiving uh, wow, expeditions. Wow, that's awesome. And even when he's growing his beard, I'm like. Are you trimming your beard in a certain way, dude? Because it was like he's got the gray in certain patches, and he's just a really handsome dude, but um, total stud. Uh, he said, what is your pre-launch routine in your mind seconds before you go? Oh, this is a really good one because every pole vaulter has this routine um, before they even pick up their pole and start down the runway. It's it's like a thumbprint to a pole vaulter, basically. Um, so I know exactly where I go to step. I step forward, I step back. And um, as of last year, actually, I got something tattooed on my hand. And it's a phrase that my mom um, said to me before the Olympics. And I just I loved it. So I look at the phrase and I just imagine all the support that I have. Um, from my friends and from my family and it just like immediately I feel the adrenaline rush and so I pick up the pole and and then I just go 
Can it's I like, ask what the phrase is? It's show the world. Is your mom your biggest rock? Both my parents. Both really. parents? Yeah. My mom is my foundational rock. Yeah. She always has been. My dad is my, 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 my sort of hand to the ass, or <laughs> quite proverbially, as we said earlier, the hands around my neck. Uh, but I love the old man, man. I am who I am because of him and my, my mom. That's, that's great. Um, we have one from Allison, and I'm going to butcher her last name, Bragger, who's with the U.S. Army Neuroscience and Athlete Division. So I'm assuming she's an athlete. I've always wondered if Olympians have a comfort pole, and I have no idea what that is, like us amateurs. Yes. Um, so we definitely have like a pole that's just, it's just easy. You can get on it um, no matter what. Uh, you, you're not worried about well, getting like rejected, getting spit out and not making it into the pit. Um, so yes, we definitely have a comfort pole, but it does change for us um, midway through the year when I'm not quite as strong. I have one comfort pole, and then towards the end of the year, I have a totally different comfort pole, and it changes. Um, but I used to like to name them. Well, okay, what are some of the names? Hi, my favorite one to date, Mary Jane, because she gets me high. Because <laughs> <laughs> she gets you high. I love that. I love that. I don't think I ever named any any of my rifles, but yeah, okay. Uh, right on. Do, do you use visual, visualization before you go? Yep, I, I actually um, just took on a challenge this year, um, and I'm only 11 days in, but I'm trying to visualize myself taking the perfect vault three times in a row, and I'm trying to do it for 100 days straight. Uh, where do you do the visualization? Is it in your apartment, or is when you're training? Yep, literally just in my bed at night before I go to sleep, um, but I visualize on different arenas. Do you have any mental or spiritual sort of procedures that you have personally, meditation, breathing that that you use for your your balance breathing, yes i've tried meditating um you got to be really mentally strong to sit there just in complete silence and meditate for periods of time so i'm working on that um but i mean i i do feel like it does make a difference and that's why i'm trying to pursue it it is difficult to to, to maintain that silence and concentrate yeah it's it, a different type of training oh yeah it becomes especially difficult when you're married <laughs> Okay. Well, we, uh, hopefully that's not in your horizon. Focus on the uh, the Olympics. So, Annika, first off, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us. And, and we're going to close this out. And I got a few closing remarks, but we close with two questions. And yeah, you may be twenty eight. Okay. <laughs> You've lived a life that 99.99 repeating many of us have not lived. And you've learned some amazing things along the way. And even though you're in your early days, have you ever thought about how will Annika look back and measure whether she's lived a fulfilling purpose-driven life? I, I have looked at that specifically because um, there's been two moments where I thought to myself, am I ready to quit track? And then I thought, no, because I haven't given it my all yet. I haven't left everything that I have on the track. Um, and so part of that is going to come from me really fulfilling my dreams or at least doing my damnedest to fulfill my dreams. Um, and that's really the way that I'm be ready to go out. And then for the rest of my life, I'll be content and I'll be ready to spread my knowledge and, and enjoy the rest of my life from then on out. Hell yes. Hell yes. What are those one, two, three keys of success for you? Those, those non-negotiables that you just will not break. And I know we all break our own tenants, but what are those things that you hold dear that are the keys to your success thus far in life? 
Um, so the first one is is hard work. Um, I, I train by myself, and in order to do that, I have to be very self-motivated, and I feel like I have to work harder than an athlete that has teammates or coaches out there to push them just because it's all coming from within me. So it's it's got to be an extreme work ethic. And that's the first one. Um, the second one, equally important to me, is have fun. <laughs> I'm not doing pole vault for anybody but myself. I love it. Like, I look forward to pole vault practices. As soon as I finish one, I'm, like, ready for the next pole vaulting day, which I only get two vault days a week. So I'm, like, Monday, I'm, like, ready for Thursday already to come around because I love it. So have fun. Um, the third one would really... This might be my stumper because those are the two main ones for me. Um, it can be two. Probably just the two. Hard work and have fun. You know, it's funny. We just interviewed Sammy Hagar and I asked him because I don't know much about the music industry. I said, hey, did you outwork your other people? Because he's highly successful. He's like 100%. When people were out partying, I was I was jamming. I was jamming. And then to have fun, yeah, you got to find a way to make hard work fun. Yeah. Well, guys, take that on board. I don't think there's any two better rules in life to, to work your ass off and to, to say screw it, it and have some fun <laughs> doing it. So guys, I want to thank you again on behalf of Men's Journal, the Everyday Warrior, Annika, dude, you are the epitome and definition of a warrior and the mindset that it requires. Thank you for joining us. And I think you're, you're hitting Austin for the rest of the night to, to let loose a little bit. I'm, I'm hitting the town. There you go. <laughs> so will we. All right, guys, until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and pick up a new issue of Men's Journal Magazine. Men's Journal Magazine has features on health and fitness, adventure and travel, style, and my favorite, the coolest gear hitting the market today. Until next time, I'm Mike Sorelli, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.